0: Welcome to Torah Today Ministries, and our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we look at some of the unusual things that occur in the Hebrew language of the weekly Torah portion, as well as some anomalies in the Torah scroll itself. And in this episode, we have a double portion. It's one of those weeks where we have to double up portions. And so we are looking at Tazria, and the next portion, which is Metzorah. And these two are Most years are read together during the same week. And these two portions together cover Leviticus chapters 12 through 15. Now, this section has to do with a disease that we call leprosy. Though what we know uh, as the disease of leprosy today is not the leprosy that we see in the Bible. Uh, The Hebrew word in the Torah is the word zarat. And leprosy today is something completely different. And we need to make sure we understand that the leprosy that um, uh, still occurs today in some cultures is not the disease that we see here in Leviticus. In fact, the rabbis are very clear to tell us that the zarat that we see in the Torah is not really a physical disease at all. It's a spiritual disease that is imparted by God, is assigned by God to teach certain things. And I'm certain that you can think of several examples in Scripture where this occurs. So, let's just not confuse the two. But with that said, just to make it easy for our listeners, I'll probably still just use the word leprosy, since that is the word used in your Scriptures. But, once again, it's not the same disease as Uh, I believe it's called Hansen's disease uh, is the medical term for it, but it's not the same disease as we see in the world today. So let's jump right in. We're going to begin with Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 3. When a person suspected that they had zarat leprosy, they would come to the priest. They go to the priest, knock to the doctor and if the priest proclaimed it to be leprosy then it became leprosy at that point point. and so here we see in this verse the priest shall examine the nega the diseased area or the affliction would be a better translation uh, the diseased area on the skin of his body now that phrase the diseased area on the skin is et Ba'or in the skin Habasar of his flesh. And um, the reason I have these four words here is that the first letter of each of these four words spells the word Ahava, which is the Hebrew word for love. Now we might not think that leprosy is a very loving way for God to show love. But you know, the wounds of a brother, of a true friend are faithful. And there's no one who's a truer friend or closer brother than our own, our own creator. And so he gives us wounds because he loves us so much. He wants to correct us and save us from ourselves, and deliver us from our own egos and our own sins. You know, in Hebrews, it says that Every son that God loves, he will scourge, he will bring pain into their lives. And though it's painful, it's not bad, it's a good thing. And so, when God allows something to occur in our lives, to bring our own sin to our attention, that is an act of love. And we find this borne out in the spellings of several of the Hebrew words in our passage. For example, the word zarat itself, that we translate leprosy. If we rearrange the letters, it spells the word atzeret, which means to hold back. And if God can bring pain into our lives and discomfort for the purpose of holding us back from sinning, then that's an act of love. The word netek, which is a word that refers to leprosy of the of the head or the beard or the face can be rearranged to spell the word "tikane," which means to restore to repair Uh, the word tikkun the congregation i led for a quarter century is called beth tikkun the place of restoration place of repair and so god can allow again uh, things to come in our life to be revealed in our lives are painful and embarrassing because he wants to bring repair. That word nega, uh, we see it here again, which we translate affliction or diseased area. We can rearrange that to spell the word uh, agon, which means an anchor, or the word oneg, which means pleasure or enjoyment. You know, at our Our services on Shabbat, there's a time of prayer, a time of study, and then it's always followed by Oneg, where we get to eat together. And Oneg is a time of real enjoyment. And so God will allow an affliction to reveal itself in our lives because he wants to anchor us closer to himself, and he wants to bring enjoyment and pleasure into our lives. But that word naga is also the same word that means to touch. And if God brings affliction into your life, consider yourself naga, touched by God. Oftentimes we think of God's touch as being a blessing that brings joy. But his touch on our lives can also be a blessing that brings pain, and if it brings correction, if it if it makes us more into his image, and helps free us and liberate us from our own sin and egos, it's a good thing. You know this word nagas first found in Genesis three three, where Eve is having a conversation with a serpent, and she says, "We." Um, may eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we cannot eat of it or naga or even touch it. And touching things, we'll find this word used more in Leviticus and in these two portions of Leviticus than in any other place in the Bible. I think the word Naga is found about 53 times in Scripture. 38 of those times is in the book of Leviticus. And it warns us about touching things that are unclean uh, because it imparts that same uncleanness to us. And we live in a culture where we are flooded and inundated with unclean things. And it's almost impossible to keep them from touching us. But we have complete control over what we reach out to and touch. And so let's be very careful. No, Isaiah talks about not touching any unclean thing, and Paul quotes that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. So let's be careful what we reach out towards, what we touch, what we allow into our lives, because good things can come through touch but many wicked and defiling things can come through touch as well now as we continue we come to leviticus 13 uh, same chapter we're going down to verse 33 it says then he shall shave himself but the netek that's a leprosy of the head or beard or face he shall not shave and the priest shall shut up the person with a netek for another seven days I just have to insert something here. Leprosy was embarrassing. Can you imagine if you suspect you've got this affliction on your face, of all places on your face, and you're a man with a beard, right? And you go to the priest and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to shave your head, shave your beard, but you leave that place that's afflicted. Imagine what that would look like. We are completely bald but you got this one patch of hair on your face and everybody thinks ah he must have leprosy he might have leprosy and you have to go around like this for a week and uh it's embarrassing but anyways the reason i point this out is that phrase then he shall shave himself is one word in hebrew And in Hebrew, this is how it appears in the Torah scroll, not in red ink, but with that enlarged letter Gimel right there. The word is Vahit Galach, Vahit Galach. Galach means to shave, but Vahit Galach means to shave oneself. And the question is, why is this letter Gimel written oversize in this one word and this verse in Leviticus? Uh, what is God trying to teach us here? Well, there are a couple things that are possibilities. Well, one interesting thing is that based upon this enlarged gimel in this word, um, the tradition has grown up that a Jewish boy does not get his first haircut until he is three years old. Why three? Because the numerical value of gimel is three, it's the third letter of the alphabet. And uh, so little boys don't look much different from little girls. They have this this long, flowing hair. But on their third birthday, they get their first haircut. Uh, Robin and I had the privilege of joining a family when their little boy uh, uh, was on his third birthday. And he got his first haircut. And um, they would cut his hair short, but they would leave the peos, the curls on the side. And then he would begin to wear a kippah. And he'd began to wear uh, a zitzit on the four corners of his garment. And it was a time when uh, it, it was like a passage of of growth, uh, a milestone in his life where he began to take on some of the basic Jewish traditions and to learn and to recognize, I've, I've reached this milestone and now I have some responsibilities, which is a beautiful thing. So that comes from this large Gimel in the word Vahitgalak, But it's also interesting that in the scriptures there are three groups, three kinds of people who are commanded to shave. The Nazarite, and you can read about that in Numbers 6, the Nazarite would shave when his uh, before he began his vow and then when his vow was fulfilled. And I believe over in Acts, I, I think it's chapter 21, uh, we read about Paul and some other friends taking a Nazarite vow. And then here, we're reading in Leviticus and over in 14, verses 8 and 9 specifically, the Metzorah, the leper, the one who has zarat, he would have to shave. And then the Levites would shave. You can read about that in Numbers 8, verses 5 through 7. So, Maybe there are some other meanings behind this enlarged, oversized letter Gimel, But these are some of the traditional practices and understandings surrounding this oversized letter. Continuing on at the same chapter, chapter 13, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and his head. That's the word voroshoh shall be unruly. In other words, he doesn't cut his hair. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Tame, Tame, unclean, unclean. So uh, the phrase and his head, varosho, is built around the word roche, that's the word for head. The first Vav means and and the last vav means his. Varosho and his head. Now, it's interesting that this word, varosho, occurs only four times in the entire Bible. And they all have something in common. So, if we look at the next three passages where this is found, it will help us understand, I think, an insight into Zarat and why God would place this disease on a person. Genesis 11.4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. whose and its head will be in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This, of course, is the story of the Tower of Babel. The motive for building this tower was rebellion against God. And they wanted to build a tower so tall that its rosh, its top, its head was in the heavens. And then also in Genesis twenty-eight 12, it's talking about Jacob having a dream. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, a and its head reached to heaven. So again, when we see this word varosho, it has something to do with something reaching the heavenlies. And then Job 20, verses 5 and 6. I include verse 5 so we get context for where the word is found in verse six, it says that the exulting of the wicked, so the subject here is the wicked person, that the exulting of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless, but for a moment, though his height mount up to the heavens, varosho and his head reach the clouds. So in all three of these other verses, when we see the word show, it has to do with the heavenlies and with the clouds. Once is with the Tower of Babel. That was a bad thing. Here in Job, it's with the wicked person and the godless person. That's also bad. But then we see the latter that Jacob saw in the dream. And of course, this is something that was of God and it was good. Wicked men are always trying to reach heaven on their own terms. The proud think they deserve heaven and they think they can attain it under their own steam. But maybe that is one of the reasons why the other appearance of a Rosho has to be, is in the context of a leper. Traditionally, leprosy was seen as a result of misuse of the tongue, Lashon Hara. But I think the scriptures are also hinting at another reason, and maybe the deeper reason for Lashon Hara, and that's pride. When you lift up your own head through your own pride and wickedness, trying to reach the heavens, God says, maybe you need humbled. And so he touches you because he loves you, and he brings something that's embarrassing and shameful. Something that kind of derails your life for a period of time. So that you can learn to humble yourselves. And um, and then when you're humble, he says, okay, now I can use you again. Let's continue on a bit further. In chapter 15 and verse 26, We read, every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. Of course, here's talk about a woman who has some kind of a, um, a discharge from her body that makes her ritually impure. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. Now that phrase, as in the uncleanness, is one word in Hebrew. It's the word ketumat. Tuma is the word for uncleanness. And the kaf at the front and the tuv at the end makes it mean as in her uncleanness. And uh, Rabbi David Friedman brings out in his book, Koldodi, Seasonings of the Torah, an interesting insight. He says this word ketumat is found twice in the Bible and the other place it's not dealing with a woman an individual but with the nation of Israel which is pictured as being God's bride and this is what it says Ezekiel 36:17 son of man when the house of Israel lived in their own land they defiled it by their ways and their deeds in other words, the lamb was defiled not by something from the outside, but what from something that came from within them. And just as the woman, something is issuing from her body that makes her ritually impure, something came out of Israel that made it impure. Their ways before me were as in the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity." This is the only two places where this word, Ketumat, is used. Once in reference to a woman, and once in reference to the nation of Israel as the bride of the Creator. And also, this is what's interesting, uh, is um, when we read in Leviticus 15... One of the things that the woman must do once uh, this discharge ends is that she must wash. And then after she washes, then she's pure again. And in this passage in Ezekiel 36, we find the same thing down in verse 25. And that verse reads this way. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, your tuma, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So what we see here and throughout Leviticus and this portion about, uh, about leprosy, what we see is a picture of something much bigger. And as you read these portions and these, these verses about leprosy, don't get sidetracked by thinking, well, this has no practical, practical significance for my life. What does this have to do with anything? It has everything to do with sin. Because everything you read about Zarat, about leprosy, is God giving you a very graphic illustration of how sin works in our lives and how it is to be dealt with. And how it affects not only us, but our spouses, our families, our community, our nation. So when we study these these verses, that can be kind of icky, (laughs) to say the least. Understand that sin is icky, for lack of a better word. And understand that this is speaking about that. Leprosy is speaking about the sin in your life and in my life. And if we read it in that way and ask God to help illuminate His message to us, we might find that these passages about leprosy can be some of the most life-changing passages in the entire Torah. So, I encourage you to study these passages with uh, uh, close attention And ask God to use them to reveal to you those areas of your life where maybe there's some uncleanness, where there's some negah, where he has touched you and said, we need to hit the pause button. You need to fix something in your life. So with that, I just want to say may God bless and may you experience shalom between now and the next time we meet. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more. Enough said.